0: On December 10th, 2018, Canadian Michael Spavor was supposed to fly to South Korea from China. Early that morning, he posted on Facebook. I'll be in Seoul from Monday the 10th for a few days for new consulting work. He ended the post with a smiley face. But Michael Spavor never boarded that flight. Instead, he was detained by Chinese authorities. In another part of China on the same day, Another Canadian, Michael Kovrig, was also taken into custody. The saga of the two Michaels had begun. Their detentions happened nine days after Canadian authorities apprehended Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou in the Vancouver airport because of an extradition request from the US. For the first six months, the two Michaels were interrogated in facilities run by China's Ministry of State Security. After that, Michael Spavor was placed in a crowded cell in a detention center, where the fluorescent lights were kept on 24 hours a day. Meanwhile, Michael Kovrig was in another center, transferred to a 3x3 three three meter jail cell with limited access to the outdoors. In total, they were imprisoned in China for 1,020 days, their release came immediately after the US came to an agreement with Meng Wangzhou and she was allowed to return to China. That was in 2021. Now, two years later, Globe and Mail reporters Bob Fife and Stephen Chase have broken the news that Michael Spavor is seeking a settlement from the Canadian government, alleging that he lost those 1,020 days of his life because of information he provided to Michael Kovrig that was in turn passed on to the Canadian government. Bob Fife is on today's show to explain. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Bob, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Always a pleasure to join you.
0: So this is a, a really complex story, Bob. It's it's a big story, too. So I think we should just start off by, by really talking about the men at the center of it. So these are the two Michaels that we hear about. Let's start with the first one. Who is Michael Spavor?
1: Michael Spavor is a very interesting man. He's a Canadian who was from Western Canada and Calgary. He ended up falling in love with China and North Korea. He had a very successful travel tourist consulting business. What makes him so unique, he's one of the few Westerners that not only had access to North Korea, but actually had access to the dictator, hmm. Kim Jong-un. I mean, there are pictures of Mr. or having cocktails and smoking cigarettes with him on the dictator's private yacht after the two of them had gone jet skiing, wow. uh, so, I mean, this is incredible access. He had not only access uh, to uh, Kim Jong-un, but also to uh, senior ministers. And uh, had, he was able to travel in large parts of the country. He even brought the uh, NBA basketball star uh, Dennis Rodman to North Korea.
0: Yeah, we've heard about their friendship. So Michael Spavor is kind of one of the guys behind this then.
1: He was the guy behind it. So so he's had a, a very interesting life. He he didn't live in North Korea. He lived in two places for a period of time, but both of them were on the border in China, but on the border with um, North Korea. So obviously, Mr. Spavor take on what is going on in Korea would be of real value to Canadian Intelligence Security Service, our Five Eyes intelligence partners, which make up you know, the United States, Australia, the UK, and New Zealand. Hmm. Because here's some guy who actually has met many of the leaders and whatever take he would have would be of of real value uh, to Western intelligence agency because uh, it's
0: very, very difficult for people to get information in uh, North Korea. So let, let me ask you about Michael Kovrig then, the other mm-hmm. Michael. What, what was he doing in China before he was detained?
1: Michael Kovrig has been a longtime uh, foreign uh, affairs officer at the at Global Affairs Canada He has uh, really been fascinated with China and had spent um, time in China at the Canadian embassy from 2012 to 2014, and then he lived for a bit in Hong Kong. In 2017, he uh, left to work for a a global think tank group called International Crisis Group, but but only on a – he took a sabbatical leave absence. Mm. And he he worked for a program, a very special elite program at uh, Global Affairs called the Global Security Reporting Program. And this uh, real job of of people who work there was to gather uh, information or intelligence, but not covertly, overtly, uh, and to write up reports. Mm -hmm. And all of this information that he would have gathered are shared with uh, CSIS, the security people in the Privy Council office, and our Five Eyes intelligence partners There's just as a matter of course, now, Mr. Kovrig, um, as part of his job, he uh, got to know uh, Mr. Spavor very well, had mm-hmm. traveled up to visit with him at his uh, house along the uh, North Korean border. So I know people who know both men and they say that uh, you know Spavor and Kovrig knew each other very well. They spent a lot of time together, not only up near the uh, Chinese border with North Korea, but also in Beijing and in Hong Kong, where mm-hmm. they would get together and have drinks.
0: So I, I guess I just want to be clear here, though, Bob, Like, what was he a spy?
1: Uh, no, he's not a spy in the technical sense of the word. Mm-hmm. The Global Security Reporting Program officers there, they are not uh, supposed to run agents. They are not supposed to pay agents. Um, they are not supposed to recruit agents, but they are in some ways, kind of like reporters like you and me, that they go out and they interview people, mm. and uh, and then they write, come back and write reports. But so, the big
0: difference is, you and I don't give our information to the government, right? These this is information that has been given to a, to a government.
1: Correct, it is. But they they're upfront about this. There's but they're saying that they're not spies because they don't uh, operate covertly.
0: Well, so let's go back to to what was going on between these two men, the two Michaels. They they knew each other, like you said. Uh, so, what does Spavor allege happened between them?
1: Well, Mr. Spavor is alleging that uh, he was tricked or deceived by Michael Kovrig. He thought that uh, this was a friend, and when he would ask him things, uh, you know, over drinks or dinner, uh, he would tell him, you know, as anybody would be fascinated about what's going on in, uh, in North Korea, or possibly what may be going on along the Chinese border with North Korea. So his he believes that he did not know that Michael Kovrig was taking this, turning it into reports and analysis, and then sharing it with CSIS and our Five Eyes allies. Hmm. Uh, The Canadian government says, uh, no, that is not the case, that um, these people were picked up uh, randomly and that one person's actions did not affect the other person's actions for the arrest. that this was basically a hostage taking in response to Canada's detention of Ming-Wanzhou, the Huawei senior executive and Hmm. daughter of the founder, uh, who was uh, detained in uh, Vancouver, as you know, uh, in 2018 on a U.S. extradition warrant for wire and bank fraud relating to uh, violations of U.S. sanctions law against Iran. So they are taking a completely different tack than that. Uh, Mr. Spavor's lawyer sees things differently, and I don't know how he, what kind of intelligence he has or what kind of evidence he has. If this goes to uh, court, we, you, you and I will be able to see more of the details of this information. You should know that um, Mr. Spaver's lawyer is a very serious lawyer. He's got a lot of experience in dealing with CSIS and in the national security realm he was very successful in getting 10.5 million dollars for Omar Khadr hmm. after the Supreme Court ruled that Csis had violated his rights by going down to interviewing him in Guantanamo, and then passing on that information to the CIA and U.S. intelligence services. So right. we'll see uh, what what happens here. But they're asking for a lot of money, in the, what I'm told, in the neighborhood of multi million dollars.
0: Tell us what you can here, Bob. Do we know what Spaver's lawyer is negotiating?
1: Uh, I don't know all the details. I'm assuming that they want a significant amount of money and then they would sign a nondisclosure agreement. And if they don't and it goes to court, then we're going to see what uh, potential evidence he has that makes the case for why he believes he was arrested and why he thinks the government of Canada and Mr. Kovac are partly responsible for them being imprisoned.
0: So it's a settlement that is essentially for damages for what happened to him when he was detained.
1: Correct. Hmm.
0: All right, so let me just kind of lay out my, my understanding of this here, Bob. So Spaver is looking for a settlement from the Canadian government because he said he would have never been detained uh, by China had Michael Kovrig not included him as in his work here. Uh, and this work specifically was around reporting on security issues in China, it sounds like. So, so basically, Spaver is saying that he never consented to being included in intelligence gathering, like he just thought they were chatting over beers or whatever, but he didn't realize he was going to get caught up in this. Is Is that right? That's correct. We'll be back after this message. Bob, of course, you and, and Steve Chase broke this story. Uh, I, I understand you might not be able to give us a lot of details here, but but how did you learn about all of this?
1: Well, I can't tell you too much about that, but um, clearly there are national security implications of this kind of reporting, and we have to be very, very careful about uh, who we've talked to and how we got this information. Um, but uh, nobody is denying the reporting that, in fact, Mr. Spavor is seeking a settlement from the government and that he is uh, believes that the government and Mr. Kovac should be held responsible for him being arrested. And he wants the, the government to uh, provide a settlement to him.
0: So we're just finding out about this now. But, but of course, China laid espionage charges against both men. So, Bob, what do we know about what China knew about this at the time that the Michaels were detained?
1: Yeah. So China, uh, the charges were against Mr. Mr. Sparrow was was passing on state secrets, and Mr. Kovach was charged with accepting intelligence or state secrets. Mm. And that's really all we, we know about this. Mm. The Chinese embassy let, last night put out a statement, saying, we've told you all along that these guys were involved in espionage.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the, the Chinese government has a very different definition of, of, you know, what these men were doing compared to the Canadian government, and and I mean, the, their definition of of these things in general is broader, right? Because sometimes even journalists get caught up in this this idea of intelligence gathering.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, China has a vast security service that, uh, as you know, keeps an eye on a lot of people, and journalists are certainly ones that they watch as well Mm -hmm. and in the case of Mr. Kovrig because he had diplomatic cover uh, he was able to go to a lot of places and meet a lot of people and clearly we now
0: know that China was watching everything he was doing Right. And when he was detained, Kovrig was, in fact, on a leave of absence from his diplomatic post. Right. So, so that's why he didn't have diplomatic immunity at the time. Uh, so, so, Bob, I guess we should really get into this a little bit more and, and talk about Kovrig's diplomatic job, because this seems to be an important part of this, especially when it comes to Spavor's accusations here. So what exactly is the Global Security Reporting Program?
1: This is a, um, an elite uh, group of diplomats whose uh, main function is to overtly go and get as much intelligence as possible and write it up and share it with CISIS and Five Eyes Intelligence Community. Hmm. You know, we do not have a foreign intelligence agency like the CIA or like MI6 of Britain. Hmm. So in a way, they kind of fulfill that role, although I have to say they're not doing covert work.
0: Yeah. So these are not considered spying or espionage jobs. This this is this is different. They're about gathering intelligence. I, so I guess how, how public would these reports have been that COVID was producing, Bob? Like, is this something that everyone could see?
1: Uh, nope. We are actually going to see if we can try to get some of these reports now under access to information. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, you and I couldn't just go and read these reports. They were My understanding, they're sent to uh, a small group of people in um, global affairs. And then it goes to uh, the Privy Council office, which uh, has an intelligence assessment branch. And then it's also shared with CSIS and as well with, you know, the CIA and FBI and, you know, M.I. 6, M.I. 5, all everybody is part of the five eyes intelligence five, right, community. Right, the
0: five. So Canada, the U.S., U.K., New Zealand, Australia. Well, let me ask you about what the, the different parties are saying here then, Bob, uh, I guess starting with Michael Spavor. So wh- what has he said or has, what has his lawyer said when, when you approached him for comment about, about these talks between his lawyer and the government?
1: Well, Mr. Spavor, who lives in Calgary, we sent quite a detailed list of questions to him, and he did not respond. His lawyer, we also sent uh, detailed uh, questions, and his lawyer said he had not received instructions to comment. We sent detailed questions to Mr. Kovrig, Mm -hmm. um, and he um, responded back that, uh, first of all, he didn't want us to write the story, um, but uh, he... Responded back that he played by the rules and regulations of the government of Canada and Foreign Affairs Department. And then we did a very, very detailed questions to the government of Canada as well, Global Affairs. And they came back with a statement to the effect that uh, that he was not a spy. And this is a false narrative that plays in the China's hands and that um, there was nothing untoward. Hmm. here and that the rest of the two men was not because of anything that the two of them may have done together.
0: Hmm. I'm wondering about the end result here because when we look at the timing of everything right when the Michaels were detained just days after Meng Wanzhou's arrest uh, and the release came immediately after she was released to go home right so I guess ultimately even though we've we've talked about all these things today like ultimately wasn't this still a case of hostage diplomacy?
1: Oh absolutely I, I there's no doubt about that I mean this does change the take that we've looked at how these two men were dealt with. But I don't think we should take away from the fact that China arrested these two men clearly as a hostage taking form of diplomacy hmm. in response to the arrest of Meng Wanzhou. So, you know, maybe they would never have done anything about the two Michaels, or maybe they would have. It's hard to know. Because I, I don't think we want to take away from the fact that here's what China did. They did this. Now maybe they were maybe they felt these were two good guys to pick up because we have something on them and we can say that these guys were upped at something. And the Canadian government, of course, as you know, has, has denied it all along.
0: Yeah, it gives us some context, maybe, as as to you know why things went down the way they did. But I mean, ultimately, these are two guys who were detained in in pretty difficult conditions in China for you know over a thousand days.
1: It was terrible what they both men went through. Um, You know, look, uh, I'm told that Michael Spavor was made to sit on these chairs for many long hours. They apparently threatened threatened to execute him. He might have been drugged. Um, And I'm sure that Michael Kovrig faced very similar situations. Uh, My understanding is that Mr. Spavor did... Uh, admit to um, the Chinese interrogators that yeah, he shared this type of information, he shared that information, he didn't think what he was doing was wrong, he thought it was my friend I told him this stuff, he didn't uh, have an idea that this is the kind of information that would have gone back to intelligence services
0: Bob, thank you so much for being here.
1: You're welcome, thank you
0: That's it for today I'm Manica Raman Wells. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.